This is Move to Live More, a podcast series profiling thought leaders in healthcare, health and fitness, and communities. We explore the connection between physical activity and mental and physical health. We address solutions for chronic disease, obesity, and physical inactivity through cross-sector collaboration and innovation. Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Amy Bantham, the CEO and founder of Move to Live More, with a mission to help people live healthier, longer, more active lives. This episode is brought to you by Move to Live More, a research and consulting firm integrating healthcare, health and fitness, and communities to address chronic disease and physical inactivity. I'm here today with Dr. Dan Bornstein, founding principal of D. Bornstein Solutions, LLC. Dan is also the military sector chair of the U.S. National Physical Activity Plan. Dan, welcome. Thanks, Amy. Uh, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So happy to have you on the show. What is the connection between physical activity and military readiness? It's a good question and probably a good jumping off point. Um, there's indirect connection and very direct connection. So one could argue that, that maybe the indirect connection could be that, you know, as a country, we currently spend almost 20% of our gross domestic product on healthcare uh, and, and many, many health conditions that, that are largely, as we know, preventable and potentially preventable through more physically active, healthier lifestyles. Um, and then you compare that to roughly three and a half percent of our GDP, which is spent on military spending. So theoretically, and maybe indirectly, one could argue that if we were spending less on healthcare, on treating conditions that are largely preventable, theoretically, that would free more money up to fund uh, the safety and security of our country and ensuring that, that, that our, our military is ready. Uh, the, the more direct association is the fact that we've got a major recruiting problem in this country in the fact that generally between 70 and 75% of age eligible Americans do not meet the minimum qualifications for service in our military. There are a number of reasons for that. They could have a criminal background. They you know, may not have completed high school, but increasingly the reasons that they're unable or ineligible for service are frankly, they're either too fat or too unfit. And the different branch services are having trouble meeting their recruiting minimum standards. So we have a major recruiting problem. And if you go even just beyond that problem, once individuals actually meet the minimum qualifications for service, we've seen over time a pretty dramatic rise in the incidence of musculoskeletal injuries uh, attributed to primarily low fitness uh, that we see in basic training or initial military training. And then those injuries oftentimes will follow a service member. And even as they go on to veteran status, we didn't used to see those injuries 30, 40, 50 years ago because we had a more physically active, more fit population. Let's talk first about the recruiting issue, because this isn't a recent issue. This is decades old, correct? I feel like we've been talking about the disqualifiers for military service and and looking at physical inactivity, physical fitness, poor nutrition, obesity for decades. 
how has this evolved over time? Has it just gotten worse and worse and worse? And clearly it is lockstep with increasing numbers around childhood, youth, adolescent obesity. Right. So, you know, I think if you were to try to identify a starting point for when we as a country recognize the relationship between physical fitness and military service, you'd look back to the initiation of the President's Council on Physical Fitness, which happened under the you know, Eisenhower and Kennedy administrations. And I think that issue has ebbed and flowed over time. Uh, I think it's fallen into the background over the last 20 to 30 years. You've heard o- about obesity and physical inactivity much more as, as, a, as a public health issue than you have as a military readiness or national security issue. But I would say in the last two to three years, based upon some science that's come out, that argument is starting to get a little bit more traction. The challenge is now greater than it ever has been. And and the DOD, the military has, you know, it's a problem they're inheriting from American society and American culture. And there's really only so much that they can do. And and they're trying to do a lot. There's there's a lot of policy change that's happening in the military in policies, uh, the DOD-wide policy called total force fitness. And uh, in the Army, their iteration of that is something called holistic health and fitness, where they have multiple domains of health that they're looking at. And obviously, Physical fitness is one of those. They also have, you know, mental fitness and and nutrition and sleep and so on. They're doing, I think, the very best that they can. But the reality is that as a society, we are giving the military a bunch of lemons and asking them to make lemonade. And it's just not a very fair proposition. And I think there's a lot more we need to be doing to get, as the military might say, left of bang or as we say in public health, more towards primary prevention of the problem. And um, so we need to, I think, look at our youth population, look at the resources that we have available for our youth to eat healthfully on a regular basis and to be physically active. And for those who are the public health people tuning in, they'll recognize the socio-ecological framework. And the idea that, you know, at the very center is an individual's knowledge, skills, attitudes, and behaviors. But then in coming out from that, those, those attitudes and behaviors and the, the, that knowledge and those skills are heavily influenced by the individual's environment, their social environment, their physical or built environment, and on top of that, the policy environment. And certainly there are individuals who are able to overcome adverse environments but they're really the exception and not the rule. So it is really time for us to think and act. We've done enough thinking. It's time for us to act on the environments in which we live and work and play and commute and go to school and pray and so on, such that those environments make the healthy choice the easy choice. The choice to be physically active, the choice to eat more healthful foods is a much easier choice to make. I want to come back to social determinants of health and and interventions and strategies. But first, I want to talk about something you mentioned, which is around framing. 
I am a public health practitioner. I have devoted almost my entire career to primary prevention, addressing chronic disease and physical inactivity. And on the one hand, I'm listening to you talk and saying, why isn't it enough to see that physical inactivity is a public health issue and to address it as a public health issue? Why do we also need to frame it as a national security issue in order to spur action? On the other hand, my thought is whatever works, whatever spurs action, let's do it. So can can we talk about the framing around this issue and and the synergies between the the public health issue and the military readiness issue and and how we can use both worlds and the tools of both worlds to spur action. Yes, that's a great it's a great question comment and I would agree whatever works um and we've got 30 years 30 plus years of undeniable evidence on the correlation between physical inactivity or low physical activity and disease or conversely physical activity and health. And we're less physically active than we've ever been, where we have higher rates of obesity than we've ever had, higher rates of non-communicable disease than we've ever had. So one could argue that framing physical inactivity as a public health issue is just not salient enough to drive the policy changes that we know. If we think again about that socio-ecological model at the very top of that is policy change. I think the reality is that, again, physical activity as a public or inactivity as a public health issue hasn't created enough fear in people and or if you look at the potential return on investment in physical activity, the return is, is potentially very distal, right? It might be 5, 10, 15, 20 years before we see this precipitous drop, let's say, in diabetes, heart disease, cancers, and so on. So why national security? Well, we all want to feel safe and secure. And if you look back at historically at the at at one of the primary tenets of our federal government is to protect us and keep us safe. And there is a very, as we talked about earlier, a very real relationship between physical activity and national security. So the reason to make that argument is that I believe that that message will resonate with more people. And I think if we look at some of the messaging and framing that's been very successful in, in public health, uh, let's take tobacco control as an example. We had, again, decades of evidence demonstrating the harmful effects of smoking to the smoker, and yet very little that was done to curb individuals' access to smoking tobacco. And government was really typically unwilling to step in, as is often the case, on individual level behavior and choice, which I totally understand. And then the evidence on the harmful effects of secondhand smoke became available. And it was, it was when that evidence became available that you started to see legislators at federal, state, and, and even local levels saying, you know, you want to smoke yourself to death? That's okay. But you can't smoke your neighbor or your children or your coworkers 
or people riding next to you on an airplane, you can't smoke them to death. So, you know, I think the idea here, we've, there's a phrase that's become popularized in the last five to 10 years, which is that sitting is the new smoking. Well, my response to that is, well, what is the secondhand smoke of sitting or physical inactivity? I would argue it's national security. And so if we don't do these things to increase the physical activity across our population, we really do put ourselves at risk of being less safe and secure. So individual behavior can impact the masses in this case. And so framing physical inactivity as a national security issue hopefully will generate more interest from more people to do more things to allow more people to become and stay more physically active on a regular basis. We started out our conversation talking about the impact of physical inactivity, not only on health outcomes, but also on healthcare spending. So health and wealth. And as you were talking, I wrote down investment and put a big box around it. Because I do think that we need to frame physical activity as an investment in order to have impact. And I just completed a research study where I was doing focus groups with different elementary school stakeholders. And oftentimes, it came up that, well, we really don't have the time to spend on physical activity on whatever form that takes, physical education, recess, in-school activity breaks. We don't have the time, it's a detractor, it takes away. But physical activity is a value add, it adds, and we need to frame it as additive. And so an investment in physical act, an investment of five minutes of physical activity in the school day reaps these types of rewards. And an investment in physical activity now reaps these types of rewards, not 30 years from now, but immediately in terms of impact on mood, impact on anxiety, stress, impact on our our pocketbooks now and in in the short term. I would argue that we as a nation have not framed physical activity as an investment. And even when we have bills before our legislatures, they are scoring primary prevention as a cost instead of an investment that reaps rewards. So how do we, it's not only the framing, but it's the the policy structure that reinforces the framing. Yeah, I I think that's that's a really important point. And anytime anybody's gonna invest in something, they wanna know what their return on that investment will be and how soon that return will come. One of the challenges I think we face at the federal legislative level is that, yeah, when a, when a bill comes before Congress, it's going to get scored by the Congressional Budget Office uh, to determine how soon there could be an expectation of return on investment. And as far as I know, and I'm not a total policy wonk here, But last time I checked, the Congressional Budget Office will forecast out five years. 
and provide what the potential return on investment would be. And again, when we look at health outcomes for physical activity, we're probably looking at, except for the point you made earlier, which I think is a good one, Amy, which is the mental health piece. Uh, if we're going to look at, at, at disease outcomes like diabetes and heart disease and certain cancers, the reality is that in all likelihood, in a, from a primary prevention perspective, we're not going to see a return on investment within five years. It's just you know, financial. We're just not probably going to see it. Um, I do think there's an opportunity on the mental health side of things, knowing that physical activity does have both acute and chronic impacts on uh, stress, anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms, and so on. And when we look at the fact that 25 veterans will kill themselves today and 25 more will kill themselves tomorrow, these are individuals who honorably served our country. So to not provide them with access to physical activity. This doesn't directly get at national security, but it's not unrelated, right? So I think in terms of return on investment as it relates to military readiness, there are some very much more proximal outcomes. When we, we talked earlier about musculoskeletal injuries that are occurring in basic training. Well, we can see a pretty rapid return on investment by reducing the incidence of some of those musculoskeletal injuries. We can see reductions in the incidence of uh, some of these mental health outcomes that are plaguing our service members, our veterans, and our culture as a whole. So I think the reality is, getting back to the messaging and framing that we were talking about earlier, the outcome needs to be meaningful to whomever the audience is, right? So if you're talking to a school principal or a school system, you might be talking about improved test scores and, and improved time on task and, and so on. And in this case, if we're talking to members of the general public or elected officials, the military knows this, right? You've got general officers who know that this is a problem. And, and we just need to do, I think, a better job of communicating and framing this as something that we can solve and for which we can demonstrate return on investment in a relatively short period of time. But it is an investment. Make no bones about it. Same way that we're going to invest in new technologies for fighter jets and everything else, we need to invest in what the military would call the human weapon system. Because without that weapon system up and ready to go, a lot of the other weapon systems are going to fall by the wayside. We certainly agree on the importance of investment. We certainly agree on the critical aspect of mental health. And it's so interesting to me recently, I'm a physical activity researcher and I start projects recently thinking they're physical health projects and ultimately they become mental health projects. And I think that's just the nature of where we are as a population right now. Let's talk about solutions. We've talked about the issue. We've talked about framing it. How can we develop strategies for addressing this issue of physical inactivity and national security and military readiness? Yeah. So the, the strategies are there. You know, we have, we have examples of 
evidence-based recommendations for changes to the policies and systems and environments in which we live and work and play and go to school and commute and so on. Examples of those include something like the, the National Youth Sports Strategy, the work that I'm directly involved in, which is the National Physical Activity Plan, which is organized around a number of different societal sectors, the most recent of which is this military sector for which you know I led the development of that particular uh, sector and the recommendations therein. So we, we know how to get there. We know the how. What we need is the will to actually implement the evidence-based recommendations that already exist. So the way forward is to have, I think, for me, at a federal legislative level, a whole-of-government approach. So every government agency that is either impacted by or has an impact on physical activity, Department of Education, for example, has a tremendous impact on physical activity, as does Department of Transportation. Well, Department of Defense is heavily impacted by physical activity or physical inactivity. Obviously, Department of Health and Human Services, this is a big part of what they think about on a daily basis. One of the challenges that we face is stovepiping or silos. So getting federal agencies and other entities at, at even state and local levels to break down those silos and to convene and talk about how physical activity is impacting them and their organizations and or how they impact physical activity is a pretty wonderful place to start. And if we begin doing that, I believe that we will identify lots of operational efficiencies that also create wins in multiple silos, stovepipes, domains, and that we will do much better as a country if we start, again, breaking down those silos, building bridges, and implementing solutions that are already there, but might need multiple different organizations or partnerships or collaborations to actually get them successfully implemented. I appreciate your mention of silos and knocking down silos. I started my research and consulting firm really thinking about integrating three sectors that I didn't see were collaborating very closely together. It's really challenging to get the right hand to talk to the left within a silo, let alone to, to reach out across the silos. You mentioned we have the strategies, but we don't have the will. What do we need to do to get the will? Do you and I need to scream louder? Do those of us working in the physical activity space and prevention space need to make it more salient to the audience? Do we need to emphasize the pain points even more? I, I see that there's a window of opportunity now. I think we've seen that physical inactivity is a risk factor for infectious disease and severe COVID outcomes. I think we're seeing with long COVID that we have a whole segment of the population that may join the population of those with disability. And we need to think about expansion and inclusion 
and the role that exercise and physical activity plays in that. Maybe I'm two glasses half full optimistic. I've been called pathologically optimistic. So, <laughs> um, so take whatever I'm about to say with that uh, knowledge. I don't know that we need to necessarily shout any louder. We need to engage in conversation that's a lot smarter. And what I mean by that is, like we were talking about earlier with messaging and framing, we need to stop beating the drum of physical activity necessarily or leading with physical activity when we're trying to engage in a conversation that might be about physical activity. What I think we need to do is start a conversation with other people with what's important to them. So truly understanding and appreciating what it is, what their hot button issues are and what their greatest pain points are. And if there's a logical connection to be made between that which you and I may be passionate about, which is physical activity and health, and that which they are passionate about, then I think we have an opportunity to move forward. And that opportunity may not always exist. In other words, there may not be a logical connection, in which case the conversation may be amicably over, and that's fine. When there is a logical connection to be made, I think it is incumbent upon the physical activity and, and health professional to make that connection through evidence, through stories, through whatever means we have at our disposal to demonstrate to individuals that we're talking with that we can make a meaningful impact on the outcomes that are most relevant to them. And with a proper investment, we can show a return on that investment that they can genuinely appreciate. I agree with you 100% about pain points. It's how I frame most of my work these days. So I absolutely understand that approach. I was really intrigued when I was preparing for our conversation and, and looking through the materials that you sent me, the extent to which, and you mentioned this before, this isn't just a recruitment issue. This is a treatment issue. This is an issue after people have served. This is an issue that impacts their families. And I was really interested the extent to which you saw this as a household issue, a community issue. Can you talk about how this extends beyond just a, a, a military recruit into the communities? Yeah, absolutely. So the community plays and the family plays an incredibly important role. They are that first layer that we were talking about earlier of influence, that, that social environment so heavily impacts individual behavior, whatever it may be, whether it's nutrition or tobacco or physical activity. So when we have a social environment that's supportive, a spouse, a partner, children, parents, and then a community, uh, whether that's a, you know, a military community or our own town, 
when, when there are people who are out being physically active and it's sort of part of the fabric of that community, then it becomes a lot easier to uptake and maintain that behavior of physical activity or if in the case of tobacco to cease that behavior. So if we're looking for the greatest sort of bang for the buck in terms of intervention, we absolutely need to be intervening on the community. This is happening right now in the army as they roll out something called holistic health and fitness or H2F. That is the army's attempt to change the culture of the army to one that looks at physical fitness, uh, mental fitness, sleep readiness, these different things that we know are going to help a service member be ready and resilient and able to defend our country when that time comes. But we also as a country need to do, as we talked about earlier, a better job of providing the military overall with a better candidate pool of applicants for the military. Whether they go into the military or not, almost doesn't matter. Yes, we need to do that for the military, but just by also doing that, these are gonna be more active, healthier, more productive citizens outside of the military who are gonna end up costing us less money because their rates of chronic disease are gonna be significantly lower. So it's a win-win, whether you wanna look at it as, as a public health issue or a national security issue, by investing in prevention, by allowing more people to be more physically active, by creating environments, especially social environments through their families and through their communities, we have that opportunity to provide short and long-term return on investment that will pay for itself in droves in meaningful ways forever. Throughout our conversation, when we keep coming back to framing issues that are salient to the audience, addressing pain points, investment, bang for the buck, I keep thinking that physical activity and getting people physically active is an intervention that has been deemed to be a best buy but is not treated as such. I really think that the framing that you're talking about as a public health and as a national security issue may help to move the dial on that with specific audiences. I know that my podcast listeners come from many different sectors and many different audiences. So this may be a, a challenging question. If you wanted to send this podcast audience out to take action after listening to our conversation today. What are three things that you would have them do? What I would suggest people do is, is dive into the National Physical Activity Plan and its different societal sectors. There's something in there for everybody. So I would dive in and I would say, find the three recommendations in the National Physical Activity Plan that you think you could get the greatest traction on and then go work to try to implement those recommendations because they're evidence-based. The evidence is there. The roadmap is there. We just need to get on the road. We'll move to live more podcast listeners. I'm here today with Dr. Dan Bornstein. Dan, thank you so much for your time. Amy, thank you. I, I so appreciate your podcast and what it does. 
And if this inspires even two people to go out and do a little bit more, then we've, we've done our job. Thanks for listening to the Move to Live More podcast series. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out at movetolivemore.com. We'll see you next time.